Michelle Yaw. And I'm Sarah American. And I'm Sam Tracy. And thanks for tuning in to season four of This Week in Drugs, the leading podcast on all things drugs and drug policy, including news, science, health, and history. This show is an all-volunteer project produced by alumni of Students for Sensible Drug Policy, an international student-led organization working to end the war on drugs. Every week on This Week in Drugs, we hope to educate the public and decision-makers about drugs in order to eliminate harmful misconceptions and improve public policy. And hopefully have some fun while we're at it. We envision a world in which our laws and attitudes surrounding drugs are grounded in science, compassion, health, and human rights. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this week's show. And now it's time for our weekly news and forecast, where we talk about some of the biggest stories in drugs and drug policy this week and tell you about some of the things coming up. Sam, you want to get us started? Sure thing. Uh, So my first story this week is from a great article in Ars Technica, uh, which is actually just a technology policy or a technology website that has really good coverage of policy, um, including some tangential stuff like this, which is a new report on the Pentagon's 1033 program. Uh, So longtime listeners and just kind of policy nerds probably know that the 1033 program is the one where the military transfers surplus equipment to police departments for free. Uh, And this is everything from bulletproof vests to rifles to grenade launchers and MRAPs, uh, which is mine resistant ambush protected vehicle. So obviously this program is a major contributor to the militarization of police since it's literally arming and armoring them like the military, uh, but without nearly as much training. So the story here, though, is that the Government Accountability Office, or GAO, which is an office in the government that's basically a watchdog for all the other offices, investigated this program and found that they don't do nearly as much checking up on police departments who request equipment as they probably should. So specifically, this report said that they even made up a fake police department with a with a fake website uh, using a vacant lot as their mailing address, which someone could have looked up on Google Maps. Uh, And the Pentagon allowed them to come pick up a bunch of military equipment. And this was reported. I mean, it was, you know, an internal sting trying to improve their own processes. But it goes to show how little oversight this really has, which is obviously incredibly worrying because they don't really have checks and balances to prevent fraud when they're giving out military equipment. That's terrifying, um, to put it mildly. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Um, Mm -hmm. And so one thing that is a little comforting somewhat is that so in this report, they are able to obtain one point two million dollars of equipment, which is a lot of money, uh, including things like night vision goggles and a bunch of training equipment. So simulated rifles and simulated pipe bombs, um, which according to the report, though, were lethal if modified with commercially available items. So it was like a fake thing for training. But if you knew what you were doing, it gave you the parts necessary to make a real one. Um, And we don't know whether there is more diligence being done for other things because they are giving out, you know, actual rifles, uh, other kinds of guns, actual weapons and other things that, you know, aren't legal to own as a civilian, like, uh, you know, certain types of armor and stuff. 
yeah, that's uh, worrisome. And I guess, you know, I'm wondering, the Pentagon allowed them to come pitch to come pick up a bunch of equipment. Like, did they check ID? Like, what was what was the process? Like, you know, I would I would Mm -hmm. like to think our government buildings and especially particularly ones like the Pentagon um, are very secure and go through lots of you know, lots of oversight and lots of um, authorization checks. Mm -hmm. And this is, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. So the report did even say that they were able to obtain it without showing the the supposedly required identification. So it does seem kind of like someone, I mean, and these were government accountability office people posing as police officers. So in a certain sense, you know, they probably carry themselves like a government investigator or like a police officer type. So they might look the part, but at the same time, you don't want to just give stuff to people who look the part um, because of all of the obvious gaps in security there. And, and just to wrap up with like saying the scope of this program as a reminder is that since 1991, so it's been operating my entire life. Um, So over that time, it has given out $6 billion worth of uh, excess military equipment to federal, state, and local law enforcement. Uh, So this is a huge program, $6 billion. uh, And apparently it's not controlled as much as it should be, which obviously has huge implications for the war on drugs and the uh, reason that it's so violent and justifying mass incarceration so hopefully they'll be wrapping up this program soon uh unfortunately i'm not going to be holding my breath on that one with the presidential administration but uh hopefully they'll at least put it under some tighter control yeah that's uh i'm kind of struck by you know i mentioned the id thing really and i just really quickly have to make a parallel because it seems like Mm -hmm. the pentagon has less strict procedures than like retailers selling alcohol yeah. you know <laughs> like they're more uh i don't know more um consistent in checking id and identification but mm-hmm. i guess moving on to our next story mm-hmm. um mine is about the former um florida congressman trey Raydell, um sometimes referred to as florida's cocaine congressman uh, who resigned in 2013 after um, a bust with cocaine possession. He, earlier mm-hmm. this month, um, got some press and, uh, let's see, maybe turned a few heads uh, when he tweeted mm-hmm. in, in response to Jeff Sessions' announcement about the D.A.R.E. program. And all he said um, Direct quote was, we had dare at my school. Nuff said. <laughs> <laughs> and I think... A fair point. You know, it's, it's funny for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, because I, I, for me personally, at least, I like to see politicians being real people and joking about themselves mm-hmm. um, and acknowledging that. But also because he's absolutely right. Um, mm-hmm. And he talks... Um, he, the article in, um, from newspress.com and Florida newspaper talks about an email in which he went on to describe the program as a failure, um, which our longtime listeners know is backed by 
lots and lots of evidence. Um, we've talked about it numerous times, mm-hmm. especially with Dr. Bill Marie Narlock. Um, but this article specifically quotes a sociologist um, named Shannon Manat as saying, decades of research demonstrate that DARE is ineffective at best and may actually increase the likelihood of teen substance misuse. There are a number of evidence-based programs that have been shown to be effective at preventing teen substance misuse and promoting positive social behaviors. DARE is simply not one of them. And, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, we've talked about this a bunch of times, and this is some one of SSDP's biggest focuses, right? Like this is where our just say no segment kind of came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, in one of the campaigns that SSDP was doing for a while, and I think that the website might still be up, um, is kind of branding ourselves as the dare generation. Um, and I know that that was a website that we had and everything. And it, I, I think it is really important just because that was such a strange kind of unique part of, our generation's childhoods of having police officers in your school telling you supposedly teaching you about drugs as if they were experts on it rather than experts on enforcing the law. Uh, So having them in there rather than medical professionals, but also the videos and stuff that they showed. I mean, it's kind of like a big cultural joke at this point in that it made drugs seem like really extreme and like that 80s 90s kind of way with laser beams and like that kind of stuff and it almost seemed like it was promoting it in certain ways and it always was kind of a joke and and it is I mean nice to see that so much research has kind of gone on to show that that is true Uh, but it's sad that people are still propping it up as something that should be effective. I mean, we still hear about this in Connecticut. People are still promoting D.A.R.E., even legislators saying, oh, we need more D.A.R.E. programs. Yeah, I mean, that's Ray Dell was tweeting in response to Jeff Sessions Mm -hmm. um, and his announcement that, or his statement that D.A.R.E. is effective and he wants it to make a comeback, um, Mm -hmm. which is terrifying. Uh, Mm -hmm. But I just, it's one thing that was really interesting um, on Twitter uh, co- former Congressman Raydell was responding mm-hmm. to a few people and he stated um, that his dad is actually a funeral director in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, mm. And so he, and I think most of our listeners know Ohio is one of the places that's been kind of disproportionately affected um, mm-hmm. by the opioid crisis. And he talks about how his dad has been just kind of burying people left and right um, and how mm-hmm we need better drug policy. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's encouraging, you know, on, on the one hand, it's, he's no longer a congressman. And we talk a lot about how it's disappointing to see former officials um, speak up. But I guess in this case, his it's a little bit different. He didn't uh, term out of office. Mm-hmm. He had to resign. So maybe mm-hmm. we can cut, give him a little bit of slack. Yeah, (laughs) we'll definitely looking forward to hearing more uh, from him on this issue. And hopefully we will be able to fight back against the expansion of air again. Uh, But moving back into now our third story for the week. Um, And this one is a tiny bit stale. It was a week and a half ago rather than just this past week. So it was Wednesday, July 20th. Um, And although we gave a heads up before it happened, uh, we actually didn't talk about it on last week's show. And it was such big news that I think it is better late than never. So here it is. And that is that legal marijuana sales to adults have finally begun in Uruguay. Uh, So this has been a really long time coming. Yeah, I mean, this is 
really, really important news because it actually marks the first time in modern history anywhere on the planet that there has been a 100% legal non-medical marijuana industry. Uh, and so I'm surprised that it hasn't been getting even more coverage. I mean, it's a strange program, which we'll, we'll talk about in a second. But as a reminder to everybody, obviously, the United States at the federal level, marijuana is still illegal, medical or not. Uh, so none of our state programs count as 100 percent legal. And uh, even in other places, uh, obviously, Canada and Israel have it legal at the federal level for medical. Uh, and the Netherlands is famous for having, you know, their coffee shops and everything. But there it's actually basically super decrim. Um, it, it's still on the books as illegal, but it's just totally tolerated. Uh, but it's actually strange because cultivation is still pretty illegal. Um, so there's this weird gray market where retail is tolerated, but then wholesale is still criminalized. Um, so there's some interesting coverage about how that all works out. But this is the first time uh, that Uruguay is doing um, of actually having 100% legal cannabis. So yeah, Sarah, I mean, especially uh, uh, keeping an eye on the international scene a lot more than I do. What, what, what's your feelings about this? Uh, I mean, you heard me woohoo in the beginning. So <laughs> that's uh, a pretty that's accurate feeling. description. <laughs> um, but I think one thing that I do want to note, um, I'm trying to pull up the article, but my computer is having issues, um, is that they, um, the so I don't know if you already mentioned this, I apologize, my short term memory, um, but in Uruguay, it's the marijuana is sold by pharmacies, um, and they mm-hmm. ran out um, or were running low within the first like few days, um, or maybe even within the first day of sales, which I found really interesting. Um, yeah, for a lot of reasons, and um, particularly, I guess because this their program is so interesting with the levels of THC and CBD. Um, yeah. Which- it's surprising that there is so much demand and especially cause so in their program, how you have to register as a consumer. So in that respect, it is similar to some medical marijuana programs or, or most of them in the U S um, where you have to be basically in a database um, and only 5,000 people have registered and that's in a state or or I guess it is a state, but it is a nation state, I should say, um, of about three and a half million people. So only 5,000 in a population that large, that's a sliver of the population. And I'm sure many more people are consuming it. But yeah, as you were saying, the the cannabis that they're selling is only 2% THC in comparison to like 15 to 25% here, but they still sold out. Yeah, I think one, I'd be interested to see... um, you know, in the, in the long term, kind of how mm-hmm. this plays out. Um, and if, if people are using, you know, regularly, um, on maybe on a daily basis, it would be really mm-hmm. interesting to see a study of how that impacts them. Um, yeah. Of something with such low levels of THC and primarily CBD, um, I think, mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess it'll just be fascinating to watch how this plays out um, and see. I don't know, to the best of my knowledge, if the UN has said anything, has made any comments since sales started. Um, so, yeah, I don't think be, so. It'll be interesting. Not that I've seen. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so I guess moving then into our next story. Um, this one is just from, uh, we're recording Saturday, so this is just from yesterday, um, Friday. But the mm-hmm. FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, announced that it's planning to cut the levels of nicotine in cigarettes uh, in the hopes of making them less addictive. And it also announced um, that it wants to, or it plans to push back the timetable on some e-cigarette regulations that had already been announced. Um, so these are mm-hmm. two really big announcements um, yeah. for both public health um, advocates and the tobacco industry and um, even the economy, actually, because this story notes mm-hmm. that after the nicotine announcement was made, um, stop, the stocks dropped. Um, and I think you wrote in here, you understand more about stocks than I do, so maybe you can mm-hmm. talk about this. Um, but Altria was down 7% after the news. Um, mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm curious to hear your perspective on this. You know, I I had the story, but you uh, know a little bit more about mm-hmm. e-cigarettes and all that than I do. Yeah, I mean this this was a pretty big surprise in terms of the timing and exactly what they were announcing. Because I mean, we we've talked a little bit before on the show about uh, Scott Gottlieb, who's the FDA commissioner, and he he had previously been like openly. Not not pro vaping, but basically in terms of saying that, or, or just like a vaping realist. I don't know how we want to brand it Did or whatever. He, but he, he had vaping saying that it's safer. Yeah, he he was involved in um, a company that that did e-cigarettes um, that he had to divest from right. um, because he's more ethical than the president. <laughs> um, but. Anyway, uh, but he he was involved uh, in e-cigarettes and recognizes that they are significantly safer um, than traditional tobacco smoking. Um, And so at the same time, though, I'm kind of surprised that he's cracking down on tobacco in this kind of way. I mean, especially in a Republican administration. And they haven't talked about the details here about how they're going to do this um which is a a really big if or or how um just because i mean they're talking about dramatically reducing the amount of nicotine that's allowed to be in cigarettes um but is that going to be you know one big drop um is that going to be like phasing it down a couple percent every year or something because uh, one, uh, one, uh, I, I think it's a fair regulation to regulate potency. I mean, we do it for alcohol. Um, I think it would be a fair thing to do for cannabis, and we kind of do it. Um, so I don't have a gut reaction opposed to reducing levels of nicotine. But at the same time, you want to do it the right way so there's not just a black market of the, the high potency stuff. Definitely. And I think, I don't know, one thing that I found interesting about it um, – really were the comments that Gottlieb made about um, cigarettes and nicotine and addiction Mm -hmm. and just the way that he talks about it. Um, He, in one article, um, quoted him as saying, we may be able to reach a day when the most harmful products are no longer capable of addicting our kids. Um, Another article Mm -hmm. talks about, um, oh, let's see. Envisioning a world where cigarettes would no longer create or sustain addiction needs to be the cornerstone of our efforts. Um, and it's it just seems to, you know, maybe um, 
his efforts are admirable, um, but I don't know that that's really in line with the way that at least I view addiction. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, this this view of like a drug free world or, uh, an addiction free world. Um, yeah. Is, and it does seem to be a little outside of how people behave. Cause something I'm just like thinking about and we're, we're a little over time, but I think this is important to talk about, um, how people are going to behave in reaction to this. Cause I mean, there could be two different, they're kind of assuming, okay, people are going to smoke, 10 cigarettes a day. So let's have each of those have less nicotine so they're less addictive. But in reality, it could just be that people are seeking X amount of nicotine. And so, okay, let's cut the amount of nicotine in half. They're going to smoke twice as many cigarettes to get the same amount, which is twice as much plant matter that you're inhaling. And that's actually more harmful. Yeah, and it also, So in a way, it could be better to say double the nicotine and half the size of the cigarette or something like that. And I guess one last point, um, Mm-hmm. The, is or two last points really quickly. One <laughs> makes me wonder if we're going to see a, a bump in products like nicotine gum and like the patches. Mm-hmm. Um, but two, the Washington Post noted that um, if this is successful, it would um, be the first time that the government has um, like tried made a made an effort to get people to quit with like by focusing on the substance itself rather than things like Mm -hmm. taxes and warning labels. Um, So that's an interesting, an interesting note um, as far as public health and prevention goes. And it does just show the declining power of big tobacco as a lobbying force. If a Republican administration is talking about an unprecedented level of involvement in regulating their, (laughs) their industry. That is true. But uh, Yeah. But now finally moving on down into our quick hit headlines. Uh, The first is that a local ABC affiliate in Massachusetts reported on a marijuana plant that was being grown inside a building owned by the Massachusetts Department of Transportation. Uh, (laughs) So the news station had received a photo of the plant along with a note that claimed to be from state police saying, I would seriously consider taking that plant out of a state building if you like your state job with a little smiley face signed the state police. Uh, The plant is now gone uh, and police say that they're looking into it but they they think the note was left as a prank by like an office mate rather than by a police officer who found it but we'll see (laughs) (laughs) oh that's funny Uh, my headline is not quite as happy um comes from Washington State, where opponents of safe injection sites in King County say that they will submit more than more than enough signatures to place their proposed ban uh, of supervised injection sites on the November ballot. Backers, which includes some city council members and other local politicians, uh, plan to submit 70,000 signatures to the county clerk this Monday, July 31st. The Washington State Department of Health stirred up controversy for a strange billboard that it put up, which featured a group of teenagers kind of in a group hug, along with the words, we don't need pot to have fun. We're Hispanics. We're cool by default, end quote. (laughs) So the department claimed it's part of an anti-marijuana campaign designed by a group of about 60 teenagers. So it's unclear if they thought this was a good idea or if this was more of a prank on the department. Interesting. Um, so Monday in Filipino President Rodrigo Duterte's annual State of the Nation address, he, of course, talked about his war on drugs and promised to continue it and also claimed that his opponents were, quote, trivializing his actions with irrelevant human rights concerns. Uh, and as prohibitionists often do, he framed his campaign as one 
protecting youth, noting that he refused to, quote, provide over the destruction of the Filipino youth. Now moving on into the weekly forecast, mine is that this Tuesday, August 1st, is the deadline to apply to be a volunteer with the Zendo Project at Burning Man. Uh, so as our very longtime listeners know, the Zendo Project is an awesome group that provides psychedelic harm reduction at festivals, concerts, events like Burning Man. Uh, we actually interviewed them and I looked and it was all the way back in episode 12, uh, which was September 2015. So almost two years ago. So it's been a while. Before my um, time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even before Sarah. Uh, so, it, uh, but they are a fantastic group, huge fan of them. They do really good work. Um, so if you're interested in volunteering with them uh, to help out, just be sure to go to the link in the show notes and you can uh, volunteer. Awesome. Um, my forecast is for our listeners in Australia or for anyone who can make it to Melbourne um, by the weekend of August 12th and 13th um, because the SSDP Australia Conference 2017 will be taking place in Melbourne that weekend. That's the weekend of August 12th and 13th. Awesome. I love that there's an SSDP Australia Conference. Yes, me too. And so before concluding, since this is the hiatus and we're doing the quick call to action at the end of these episodes, we've actually just got a joint one because it's really important. Um, and this is that we want you to fill out the listener survey. Yes, all of you wonderful listeners, we know that there are hundreds of you, um, and we've gotten 32 responses so far, which is fantastic. Thank you so much to the 32 people who uh, filled that out. It only takes a few minutes, and we'd love it if more people did. And in as, as part of the rewards, we're totally happy to send people a pack of Twid stickers in the mail, if you'd like. Um, and I know many people have already requested those, so we'll be mailing those out soon. And we're also giving shout-outs to the people who consent to being shouted out at. Uh, so we've got 15 of them so far. Uh, so just want to say a really big thank you to Tyler Williams, Casey L, uh, C. Harrison, uh, Robert Hoffman, Joy Langley, Kat Humphreys, Vilmarie Narlock, Oliver Zerudo, Randon Davis, Graham Gerritsen, Brett Phelps, Kevin Garcia, V. Chili, David Pesek, and Giva Das. So thank you so much to those 15 people um, and to the 17 who didn't want a shout out. We still love you too. Uh, and so anyone else who hasn't filled it out yet, we're going to be doing this throughout the hiatus to help us decide exactly how to deal or how to pivot for the next season. Um, so help us make the show even better. And yeah, that is everything for this week's episode. Um, and as always, there's so much news happening that we'd uh, love it if you send us anything interesting that you find, especially stuff for the forecast. If you've got an event coming up, we'd love to cover it. Uh, so please send it our way. You can send us a message on Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us at thisweekindrugs at gmail.com. <laughs>